Hello, everyone. I'm Jenna Filipkowski, and you're listening to a new episode of the Human Capital Institute's Nine to Thrive HR. This podcast features experts and practitioners in the field of human resources and brings their knowledge of the most pressing issues facing human capital management straight to you. Right now, I'm joined by Brian Ahern, who is a Chief Influence Officer at Influence People. Welcome, Brian. Thanks for having me, Jenna. I'm excited to talk to you today. We're glad to have you here, Brian. You're an author, speaker, and consultant on the science of influence and persuasion. How does someone know if they have strong influencing skills? Well, influence is all about moving people to action. It's more than just changing their thoughts or changing how they feel about a situation. It doesn't do any good if someone's thinking changes, but their actions don't. And so I always say that someone has strong influencing skills when they see that their interactions with people get them to take the actions needed so that the company can uh, move forward in achieving its goals. That makes sense. And is there a time with that? I would think action is not always going to be immediate. Like there might be a patience or a waiting game involved with influence. Well, it depends on the life cycle of whatever it is that you're doing. I mean, you may use influence to what we call pre-sway, to kind of get somebody in a mindset that opens them up in a future time to actually take action. So the influence process could be quite long, depending on what it is that you want to acquire. And then sometimes it's that immediate interaction and needing someone to take uh, action right away. And recently in our study of HR and business partnerships, most of our survey respondents who are HR professionals said HR and people managers do not work effectively together at their organizations. How can HR practitioners and people managers build stronger relationships to have better working partnerships, thinking about the influencing skills we just mentioned? Well, when we talk about influence, there are six primary, uh, what we call principles of influence, and two of them are especially good for building relationships. Uh, The principle of liking, which tells us people prefer to say yes to those they know and like. I'm sure that's no revelation to the people listening to this, but really um, working on your ability to not only get people to like you, but to actually come to like the people that you work with. When somebody sees and senses that you really like them, they become much, much more open to what you might ask. So by connecting on that principle of liking, but with an intention of like, Jenna, I want I want to come to like you. And when you see that, then you become more open to whatever I might ask. The other principle is the principle of reciprocity, which says we feel a natural obligation to want to give back to people who first give to us. So when we are interacting with people in a manner that says, how can I help you? What can I do to genuinely make this situation better for you? People naturally feel good about that, and they look to help those people who've been the first to help them. So both of these are really, really strong for building relationships. I agree. And in that study on the HR business partnership I just mentioned, one of the top challenges we've seen for developing and sustaining those partnerships is that HR has a lack of senior level buy-in for HR initiatives. Based on what you know about the science of influence, how can HR be better at obtaining buy-in for the things they want to do? And what advice based on that science would you give HR professionals? Well, in, in the framework that we teach influence, we talk about building relationships, overcoming uncertainty, and motivating people to action. If you've got strong relationships with people, then the next thing that you want to focus on is, is there uncertainty? So in the case of this question, 
senior leaders. They may know and like the people in HR, but they're still wondering, why should we take action on this? And when we talk about overcoming uncertainty, two principles of influence are very effective when it comes to that. The principle of authority, which says we naturally feel uh, comfortable following the lead of people that we view as experts, or when we bring in uh, data that's viewed as being expert data. And the other is called consensus or social proof. When we realize that many other people are doing something, or better yet, people who are most like us are doing something, we feel then more comfortable following that lead as well. So I would say with HR professionals in terms of getting more buy-in from senior executives, really, first of all, building their own expertise so that when they're communicating, those senior professionals are looking at them and saying they know what they're talking about. Also bringing in information from other respected sources that can be used to sway the thinking. And then if it's possible, talking about other organizations that have maybe adopted the initiatives that are being proposed and done so successfully. All of that creates momentum to get a buy-in and overcome that uncertainty where, again, senior leaders might be thinking, why should we go this direction? And you just mentioned the word um, uncertainty, and I'd love to hear from you, given where we are today in the world, how that plays in with people's ability to build relationships at work and build trust and get buy-in when everything is unknown and things are changing so quickly? Well, again, I I think um, whenever we're talking about uncertainty, if someone's not sure what to do, it's not enough that you have a good relationship with them. Um, You know, we, we often talk about when you establish relationship, people may know you and like you, but still not be sure what they need to do. And that's, again, where we want to talk about, well, here's some information. Now, nobody knows what the future is going to hold, but if we can look at verifiable information, if we can refer to people that are um, viewed as experts, and the more that we can bring that in, the more comfortable people will feel in, yeah, this is the direction that I think we need to go. Um, We are navigating, particularly with COVID, uncharted waters and all the impacts that they're having, things like working from home. But there have been organizations that have worked successfully from home, looking at those organizations and saying, here's how they've been doing it prior to COVID. Maybe we can adopt it. So whatever that is that you're trying to deal with, whatever the particular uncertainty is that impacts your organization or your department, looking to others who've already navigated those waters, maybe for a different reason, but bringing that in and and using that as a marker to say, here's how others have already done this. Maybe we should try to take this, modify it for our needs, and then go forward. Yeah, I like that a lot. That's super helpful. Um, And thinking about, I know you study this a lot and you work with your clients on tools or tips or recommendations for people who want to get better at influencing others and developing their influencing skills. What are a few things you can share with our listeners today? Well, there are lots of resources out there. Uh, The best resource that I would encourage everybody to uh, get a copy of is Robert Cialdini's book, Influence, Science, and Practice. The book's been out for 30 years or so. I think he's working on a sixth revision of it, but it's sold I think three and a half million copies. It is the gold standard when it comes to understanding the science of influence and the decision triggers that are in people's minds that make it easier to say yes. Influence is a skill just like almost everything else that we do in business. And therefore, if we study it, 
And if we practice it, we can get better at it. It doesn't matter where we are on the spectrum. We can continually get better if we learn what the science says and we begin to put that into practice. Um, another resource I'll say is the book that I wrote, which is called Influence People. And the subtitle is Powerful Everyday Opportunities to Persuade that are Lasting and Ethical. And that actually goes into the practical application where Cialdini's book is very heavy on the science and understanding the research. Mine really focuses on the practical application. How do you take that information and put it into practice in your business or in your personal life to make it easier for people to say yes? So those are a couple of resources that I would suggest. When it comes to the actual techniques of, of influencing, a few things that I would recommend. Um, first, I mentioned that principle of liking. Don't focus on trying to get people to like you. Obviously, if people like you, it's easier for them to say yes to you, but you'll get much more bang for the buck if you really focus on trying to come to like the people that you work with. Um, that just seems to make everything go much smoother. Another bit of advice I would give is there's a principle called consistency, which says we feel an internal psychological pressure and an external social pressure to be consistent in what we say and what we do. The problem that I've seen most people make is they never gain a commitment from somebody because we are so conditioned to just tell people what to do, especially in the business environment. You know, a senior individual tells a subordinate what to do, or we're in a meeting and we tell somebody what to do, and we're never triggering the psychology. But when we ask and that person says yes, or they put it in writing that they'll do something, there seems to be a trigger in our minds that says, first, I want to feel good about myself by keeping my word. And oh, by the way, then I look good to my peers who, who all heard me make that commitment. So I would say for your listeners, stop telling people what to do and really begin to focus on asking. And you will be surprised at how much more people will actually do what you want them to do and follow through. So those are, those are two tips I would uh, highly recommend because in all the time that I've been studying this, those are two big mistakes that people tend to make. Yeah, I think it's easy to make that mistake too when you think of the word influence. Some people might think power and control when really what you just said, it's about liking the other person, building relationships, asking instead of commanding. Um, I, I have a well-worn copy of Caldini's book. Um, I remember reading it in my social psych class and it's still the things that I learned in there can continue throughout my career. So I'm glad you brought that up. Um, and you mentioned looking at the practical. And I, and I wonder if you can share that nuance of not trying to get people to like you, but finding ways to like them. What are some things you've learned with your clients or through your research that can help someone who finds themselves in that unfortunate situation where it's just so hard to like someone else? I can speak to that because I had coffee this morning with somebody where I ran into this. So um, my friend Brandon, many years ago when I worked at an insurance company, he was in the claims area, I was in the sales area, and the person who was the vice president of claims asked me to start working with the claims folks. And Brandon headed up the claims training. And, and my sense in my first interactions with him was he was not pleased with me coming in. It was as if I was invading his territory. Um, then we had to travel together. And I thought, great, now I got to spend like six weeks with somebody who clearly doesn't want me around. So I had to put into practice all the things that I teach. And that becomes things like focusing on what you have in common. And I realized that Brandon in college had been a power lifter. I had done that in college. 
He ran ultra marathons later in life. I used to run marathons. So we began to connect on things that we had in common. Um, I paid him genuine compliments whenever he did something that was worthy of a compliment. And everything began to change there. But first and foremost, it was changing my mind about him. Rather than looking at him as a guy who didn't want me around, I started to realize he's a really smart guy. He was driven. He had a great sense of humor. He could be a lot of fun when you broke through the exterior. And by the end of that six weeks, we had formed a great relationship. He left the company many years ago. I left the company about a year and a half ago, and he has been one of my biggest advocates. And so that's my personal success story about turning a relationship around by clearing my mind of what I was thinking of him and just beginning to focus on, look for the positive, praise the good things. And you know what, Jenna? People that we find difficult in life quite often are difficult for a lot of people. But if we can break through, what I found the vast majority of the time is they're really good people. But they had this exterior up to keep people away because maybe they've been hurt or disappointed in the past. But you break through that and and it's a great feeling because now I love working with the guy and I, I consider him a very good friend. I love that. It's about instead of trying to change the person, just changing the way you relate to them or, or how you think about them. That's that's very helpful. Um, one last thing I, I want you mentioned the word asking and how can you ask and use questions instead of like commanding or telling people what to do? Can you talk about how influence and asking is also related to coaching? I know we do a lot of research on coaching cultures and getting people and managers to use coaching in their one-on-ones with their team versus telling them what to do. I know you've done a lot of work in this area. Can you share some of the things you've learned around coaching and coaching cultures inside organizations? Sure. Well, I really believe that influence is the foundation of most of the things that we do. And what I mentioned earlier about, you know, building relationships, overcoming uncertainty and motivating people to action at a high level, that's how sales are made. But when you think about leadership, leaders need to build relationships, help their the people that they're leading overcome uncertainty, and then they need to motivate them to action. Coaching is the same thing too. If, if you and I are in a coaching relationship, Jenna, the first thing I need to do is build relationship with you. Then I need to help you overcome any uncertainty that you may have about, well, does this guy, Brian, really have what I need? Is he going to be able to help me? And, and then even if I am able to do that, I still need to motivate you to change your behaviors into ones that will help you succeed. So I think where the asking comes in through that principle of consistency is if I tell you what to do, even if I'm an expert, you will never own it as much as if I use good questions and you bring it up yourself. You feel like you've come up with that answer. And I can give you praise for that answer because I might know that's the direction that you should go. But because you came up with it, you own it more. And uh, there's a saying from a pretty well-known sales trainer. And he says, uh, when you say it, they doubt it. But when they say it, they believe it. And so I think in a coaching relationship, don't tell people what they need to do. Ask the right questions. Help them bring from within what they think should be done, and they will own that more. They will put more energy and effort into that as opposed to what they should when they're being told to do something. That's great. And I keep on wanting to ask you more questions, if you don't mind. So thinking about someone who's stuck in their ways, meaning they've always commanded their team, the coaching thing is new to them, they don't see the value in it. 
what would you say or, or how would you influence someone who thinks that way and maybe you're trying to move your culture in a different direction? Um, what tips would you have for an HR professional who's working with that leader? For somebody who thinks I don't need to do that, I don't need to coach? Correct. I would approach it from the influence standpoint that um, the research is clear. Uh, more than seven decades of research from social psychology and behavioral economics into how you can communicate better with people. You know, I, I can see a leader saying, I don't need to ask people. I'm the leader. I don't need to ask them. Well, the research is really clear, though. You'll get more people saying yes and doing what you want if you bring this in and you can incorporate this into a coaching mindset. Um, I think coaching is about replicating the best parts of yourself. Um, so that leader who, who might be good and they might be very strong and they have lots of experience, can they replicate all those good parts of themselves into the people who, who they're coaching, who they're leading? Um, I think that's an appealing way to try to engage a leader who really believes that they're doing things well and then coming in and saying, let's talk about most effective ways to do that. Um, if you really want your team to change their behaviors, you're going to stand a much better chance if you incorporate a little bit of psychology. And then that begs the question, what does the research say? And the research is very, very clear on these principles of influence that they impact people's thinking at the conscious and subconscious level. And therefore, if we make a choice to start bringing them into our communication, we'll get more people on board saying yes. I love that. That's that's great. Um, and this is sort of related to what we've just been talking about, but one of my favorite coaching questions or questions in general right now is what have you learned about yourself or even the science of influence based on everything that's happened with COVID? Um, any, any new findings or surprises you've had and or reflections um, over the past six months or so? One of the things personally for me that was a little bit of an aha I had a client that I was supposed to work with in May, was going to go and do a one-day training event. And then fortunately, they didn't back out, but they said, uh, we don't want to spend a full day on Zoom. We would like you to break up your training into three separate parts, a few hours in the spring, four in the summer, a couple hours in the fall. And Jenna, my first thought defaulted to, darn it, now I got to be in front of my computer for four days rather than just one day down there. And and my mind started going, should I charge a different price because it's taking more time? That's just the path my mind went down. And then I stopped and I thought, maybe I can restructure this in a way that actually becomes really, really good. And so what we did was, um, before the first two-hour session, I said, let me know everybody who's going to be involved in the training because I want to reach out and connect on LinkedIn. So almost everybody accepted. They started to see a little of my background. We gave them a podcast to listen to, and then we got them a copy of my book before the workshop. So now they're connected. They've heard me. They've got this gift. Everybody was excited. And then in between that and the summer session, they were tasked with reading the book, and we gave another podcast. And then we had a great four-hour session, and now they're getting a series of weekly emails to reinforce the learning, and then we're going to meet in the fall. And I realized wow, now they're thinking about me for six months. And they're thinking about what I'm teaching them for six months, not one day or not, you know, maybe a week or two afterwards, but throughout the spring, summer, and fall, they'll be thinking about what they're learning. And I realized the client's going to benefit much, much more through this. 
I'm going to benefit because many of these people will eventually move on to other companies and they'll be the people who say, hey, hire this guy. So shifting from the downside because things change to what's the upside. And I think that there are many more opportunities out there than people realize if they will just step back and, and set aside preconceived ideas and just ask themselves, what's the opportunity here? How could I leverage this into something that might actually even be better than what I was originally going to do? And I think that the more people do that, the more we will find opportunities. And we're going to, in this time, I think, discover things that so many of us will look back and go like, man, that's so simple. Why didn't I think of that? It's because we weren't forced into new behaviors. So that's my, I think that's my biggest takeaway at this point, based on how things have changed with COVID. Yeah, that's great. The, the reframing that you're able to do and the optimism that that brings, I think is especially powerful during challenging times like this. So always a pleasure, Brian, to, to speak with you. Thanks for sharing what you know with our listeners today. We really appreciate it. It was my pleasure. I really appreciate you having me on, Jenna. And HCI listeners, be sure to subscribe to this podcast if you enjoyed your time with us. For Nine to Thrive HR and all of us here at HCI, we appreciate you for tuning in.